We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Pat Mayo Experience presented by DraftKings UFC 264. Connor versus Poirier. Three picks. DraftKings preview and maybe a little bit of talk about uh, the business of UFC and Connor's legacy of what could happen here in some pay-per-view buys and what's next for him if he wins or loses this fight. I want to remind everyone to go check out the Dogger Pass podcast up on Mayo Media Network right now. You'll get a fight by fight breakdown up there you can also subscribe to the audio podcast to the dogger pass podcast just by searching it wherever that you get your podcast from but all the video versions are up on mayo media network brett appley will have his full DraftKings preview later in the week and then mad lab big mike is going to do a main event breakdown very specific with props up on mayo media network as well those two are shorter shows so if you want to check out ufc 264 mayo media network is where you're at here's what i want to know from you I want to know that you'll smash the like button to the video. Subscribe to Mayo Media Network. But in the comment section, what I want to know is the outcome of McGregor versus Poirier. I want to know who wins, and I want to know the method of how they win. And we're going to see who's the most accurate on this one, because I got some thoughts. Not well-researched thoughts, because, you know, I don't really know. That's why I have guests, and I listen to other people for this stuff. But I wanted to bring in the entire crew uh, for a gigantic UFC card week. And I do, oh, also, if you want to get, like, uh, some cash given to you, there's a very easy way to do so. I'll put this in the description of the video. But if you rate and review, or, well, subscribe, subscribe, rate, and review the to the Pat Mayo Experience audio podcast on Apple Podcasts. You rate it five stars, something you enjoy about the show. You can lie about that for all I care. Just make it positive. And then leave either your Twitter handle or email address in that review. Uh, I have a huge British Open giveaway next week where I'm giving out close to like $1,000 in cash. If you do the review and leave all the required stuff, you're in that draw and I'll be a win announcing the winners next Wednesday. So you know, it takes like 23 seconds to do and you can win like 200 bucks or something like that. So please go do that. You can click the link in the description from TSN. I guess there's like many iterations of TSN. I'll just say TSN from now, but it's Aaron Bronstetter. What is the actual place that you tech? Is it, is it bar down? Is that where you're working for? No, I'm at TSN. I'm a TSN employee. I mean, you don't have like the other, now that, now that you're on with me talking about gambling, like do you have to be from like a different umbrella of the company? From TSN Edge? Well, TSN Edge is a, a a branch of uh it's a, it's a vertical it's a vertical so i just work for tsn and uh, whoever else uh requires my services within 
Yeah, well, I mean, thank you for taking the time. And maybe we'll get into this a little bit later on, but people may not know this about you that are watching the show because it's the first time you've ever been on the show. I met you at one of Gabe Morenci and Cam Stewart's Road Rage things, which was just off the rails. But you have a lot of experience working with Gabe and Cam and Jeff, for that matter. Yes, this is true. I worked with uh, all of them at The Score. Actually, my first full-time gig in this industry was producing Sports Rage with Gabriel Morenci, which if you want to like get thrown into the deep end in this industry right off the bat, that's the gig for you. That's it's basically like dealing with a rock star, you know, uh, who who does radio. It's it's like it's it's awesome though. It was so much fun. I loved producing that show and Gabe is like a tireless worker. People don't really realize this about Gabe because when he gets on air, he's just so bombastic, but He's like a, he's like a savant. He gets in, he's got his blank sheets of paper and like a, a Sharpie and he's just scrawling like 30 pages of notes before a show. It's really, I haven't seen anything uh, like it before or since. Yeah. And Gabe does that. And then Cam comes in with the most research possible for literally no reason. Cause people just want Cam to react to things. Oh, Cam, Cam barely does any research. He just, he just like his research is just watching the games. Like people are always looking at stats and, and Cam's mantra is like, I've watched the game, so I don't need to. Like, I know what happened in the game. I can explain to you what happened in the game. So I don't need to look up any sort of supplementary information, which is, I think, the way that Cam presents himself is is perfect for for what he does. Well, I want to get a I want to get a Jeff story, but we'll save that for later on. But I want to talk McGregor. I want to talk. Oh, you call him Jeff instead of Geoff. I Geoff do. Hey, but I, I have at, I have someone I have someone else in my life that we call Geoff, so he also can't be Geoff because then it would just get confusing. No, fair enough. Hmm. McGregor Poirier. <laughs> Poirier is the favorite at DraftKingsSportsBook.com. Also, with the new Dogger Pass sponsorship with DraftKings, if you use code DOP at DraftKings Sportsbook right now and you're a new time customer, uh, you can get 246 to, 264 to 1 for UFC 264 uh, for a first-round knockout for either of these guys. I suggest McGregor if you're going for first-round knockout because that's the only bet you can really kind of make on him here. He is the underdog. Connor, plus 105. So if you bet $100, you win $105. Poirier's like inching towards becoming a bigger favorite all the time, minus 135 in the betting odds right now. Is this completely predicated because Poirier tuned him in the last fight? It's 1-1 in the series, but that McGregor win came a while ago. It just feels like Connor actually needs this win if he wants to continue making huge, huge money. Like if he doesn't want to be fighting Jake Paul in three months, feel like he needs to win this fight. Yeah, yeah, I mean, to an extent, but I still think he's very relevant, win or lose. And you mentioned the line moving. I had heard from an offshore, I guess, yesterday that 65% of the money was on Porians down to 55% of the money. So it looks like there's going to be a surge on Connor as it gets closer in all likelihood. Um, usually, Connor's a very, very popular bet at the window in like the days leading up to the fight. So I wouldn't be surprised if the line tightens up a little bit more as it goes, unless the books want to hang their hat on Poirier and, and aren't going to take uh, as much, uh, or I guess move the line quite as much, but, uh, yeah, I mean, we, we know what we see and what we saw was Poirier get the better of McGregor. But if you look at the big picture and you look at that whole fight, the first round was, was McGregor's round. And I think it it was fairly clear that he still has some, he's, you know, he's not somebody who should be taken lightly in the spot. I think that's why the odds are so close. But again, you saw what Poirier was able to do. And that's what Poirier doesn't fight. Poirier will lose rounds early in order to win rounds late and win the fight late. He's done this time and time again. So, you know, you shouldn't be surprised by the fact that he is the favorite here because he did what I thought he would do last time as well. I mean, I, I had predicted 
that he would win inside the distance. It was like plus 240 last time, and now I think it's only plus 145. It's just weird to see McGregor as an underdog in this spot, being the biggest name in the UFC. And you kind of mentioned it. Like, there's going to be a flood of Conor money coming in late. Like, I mean, for me personally, like, I, I help produce the Dogger Pass podcast every week. So I get enamored with you know, the, the, the Vegas 28 cards and stuff like that, and these people I've never heard of before. But when I'm talking to, like, my friends outside of doing these shows, like, the only fights they ever want to watch are Connor fights, maybe John Jones fights. If Brock Lesnar ever comes back, they'll pay for a Brock Lesnar pay-per-view. But he's such a draw. That's why I thought it was really strange to see a lot of these books, especially DraftKings Sportsbook, hanging plus money on him knowing that that's where they're going to end up taking all their action they might not take the big bets on connor the big bets might come in on poirier and maybe that's what they're hedging against but every casual person in the world will probably be betting on connor well it's like mcgregor versus uh mayweather mcgregor i think not like 80 or 90 percent of the action was on mcgregor but like 80% of the money was on Floyd. Like all the big, all the big shooters knew what they were doing. And I mean, it's still to this day shocks me that on the, the night of the fight at certain uh, books, you could have gotten Mayweather at minus 275. And that, like, it's just that to me is like the biggest whiff of all time is anybody who didn't get on that. It's, it's kind of crazy. It's the biggest bet I've ever made on anything was on Mayweather. I got him at minus 300. And that was, uh, I was like, there's no way it can go lower than this. And then, like you mentioned, it did go lower than that. Just a little bit. I mean, you, you got a great price at minus 300. It, just every single person I talked to who knew anything about anything was like, this is free money. You should bet this. Well, I called my wife and said, we should like take out a second mortgage. And, and my wife is very, like very low risk. So this obviously didn't happen. But I called her when I was in Vegas. I was like, the line keeps creeping down. We really should take out like a good chunk of money and put it on Mayweather. But uh, didn't end up doing it. I'm glad you did because, like you said, it's it's a boxing match with a generational talent against an O and O mixed martial artist. Like we should have seen the writing on the wall here. It's just when you watch the the, the different networks, it's such a good job of teasing McGregor as being a really live threat in the fight that like a lot of people were drinking the Kool Aid as it led up to it. Well, this is what kind of concerns me about this fight in a way. Like, and we'll talk about Conor Legacy in a second, but. Is this lines like when we when we watch you know analysis, when we watch you on TSM, when we're watching ESPN, when we're watching the UFC broadcast, is this fight as close as they're making it out to be? Or should Poirier be a bigger favorite in this spot based on the track record of both these guys the past three years? Well, I mean, should is is an interesting word because yeah, maybe he should, but it's all dictated by public action, right? So um do I do I think he wins this fight more than 55% of the time? I would say so. I think Poirier, the current iteration of Poirier wins this fight more than 55% of the time. And I listened to your, your friends on the Mayo Media Network, the Dog and Pass, Dog or Pass podcast. And they were saying a, a very similar thing to what I said this week, which is this is a great live bet opportunity. If you like Poirier, you're probably going to get better odds on him after the first round of the fight leaves the first round. I mean, for the sake of those who are signing up for new DraftKings accounts and getting it at 264 to 1, I mean, <laughs> good luck to you. It is a possibility that it ends in the first round. But... I do think that uh, in between rounds, as the fight goes on, you know, even if McGregor's pouring it on him, Poirier is going to be live for the entire fight. So it's one of those things where you kind of have to watch and see 
on the actual night of the fight. Well, it's interesting to track the odds that way because Connor's going to be like the Dallas Cowboys. He's going to be like the Yankees, that if he gets out to a lead, like you said, and he wins the first round again, all of a sudden he's going to be like minus 200, minus 250. And then you're going to be able to scoop up some pretty good plus money on Poirier. The problem is, is we can always talk about that in theory of when that happens, but when you're actually watching the thing and it's going down live, you're like, oh my God, I don't want to bet on this guy who's getting dusted right now. You need to- tuned. Yeah, yeah you, you need to have- have you need to go in with that mindset being like regardless of what happens like and your eyes might be lying to you and like you said Poirier is willing to throw away a few rounds early so he can win the ones late especially if he can knock him out inside the distance again uh then you're looking great in like round three something like that but if, if you see like a plus 165 hanging if Connor just absolutely demolishes him in the first round you still have to have the guts to make that bet I actually think we're going to see a very slow paced first and second round I think we're going to see a very tactical fight Going back to the Nate Diaz rematch that Connor had, it was a chess match. And I think that that's what we're going to see. I think that Connor gave himself too much credit going into that last fight in terms of his power. He knew that he had put Poirier out in the first round. He knew that he's put so many other fighters out in the first round. But at 155 pounds, the power doesn't translate. Poirier has talked about moving up to 170. He's, he's a big boy. He walks, he could probably enters the cage at close to 180 pounds on fight night. Like he's a big boy. And he was cutting when he was at featherweight around 40 pounds to get down to featherweight. Like he told me his last weight cut at featherweight. I think he, he had, or maybe it was the Cup Swanson fight or something. It, it, I think it might've been the fight before McGregor. He had cut like 42 pounds or something to get down to featherweight. So when you don't have that hydration, your chin is a lot more susceptible. He has the hydration now. And I think that Connor at this size doesn't, doesn't have the same power as he did at featherweight. So that last game plan didn't work. He, he came in, he threw his best weapons at Poirier the first round. Poirier withstood it. And then Poirier was able to turn, turn it around on him and, and just pounce. And I don't think that Connor's going to let that happen this time around. I expect that this fight enters the third round, uh, unlike last time. I mean, if that's the case, like if the power doesn't translate as well for Connor, and that's what he's used to doing, now he needs to change up his game plan a little bit. Do you think that he can outpoint Poirier and win this by decision? Because that seems not likely. I do think he can outpoint him. I, I mean, he did it to Nate Diaz. Because if he really conserves his energy and he lands maybe not as many blows as Poirier, but he lands the more damaging blows, he's going to win rounds. Rounds are based on damage, not volume. People don't realize oh, this oh, in terms oh, of the scoring oh, oh, criteria. Hold on. Does anyone actually know how these things are scored? Because they tend to be a little bit janky. <laughs> yeah, I mean, not really. But they're going to have good season judges judging this thing in Las Vegas. That doesn't necessarily always mean anything. But they know the criteria inside and out. The criteria is predicated on the more damage. And Connor can land more damage over five rounds. Uh, I don't know if this fight goes the distance. I, I, would, I would say that would be a bit of a tough bet. But I do think that it gets to the third round. And then from there, that's when we kind of see the real fight start. Hmm. I don't know if I want to bet either of these guys like for third round finish. I wonder if those are paying out at DraftKings Sportsbook right yeah, now. Yeah, third round. So here's the here's the thing. I did my TSN edge. I do a dart of the week, which is like a high. This is the, the Pat Mayo pick, the, the really high value prop and i was gonna do poirier wins in round three at plus 850 and poirier wins in round four at plus 1200 uh, as my two darts and then i went and looked and it was fight ends in round three was plus 850 and fight ends in round four was also plus 1200 it was they were right in the same area code so you're getting so much more value when you do that because then either guy if they end the fight in that round you're getting the same payout which is to me is just baffling yeah i i think they're just looking to take action on this fight in any way that they know I mean, for the rest of the UFC this year, 
Like, is there going to be a bigger fight? Like, isn't Ganu no. going to fight John Jones? Like, is that the only one no. that could ever kind of come close? Ganu's to this? not going to fight John Jones this year. There's not going to be a big fight this year. This is this will be the biggest fight of the year. So, so for the sports books, this is like the Super Bowl for UFC. Oh yeah, yeah. It's International Fight Week. This uh, this is going to be the second, or sorry, the third highest uh, gate in UFC history. Uh, it's it's a big deal, and I think that you're going to see a lot of action coming on this, especially this one particular fight. How much of a difference do you think it makes with this fight being in Vegas versus where where was it last time, like Abu Dhabi or something like that? I don't know if, how much of a difference it'll make. It'll be a full crowd. Yeah, there's going to be more pressure on Poirier for that reason. But big, uh, big, big ring too, right? Or big octagon. It, it was big octagon last time too in Abu no. Dhabi. Um, so that's not going to make much of a difference either. It'll be the same same circumstances. Um, it'll probably be a little bit cooler in the building than it was. I mean, even though it's it's, it's very hot in Vegas, the in Abu Dhabi, they tend to make these kind of makeshift arenas. So, you know, that that can give people a little bit, maybe a little bit more um, of a chance to to go longer in the fight without gassing out because they're not overheating at the same time. So uh, I think that the conditions probably favor McGregor. I would just think having a full crowd probably favors McGregor too, because you'd have to think that unless it's just a arena packed with people with money on Poirier, that it's going to be a pretty pro Connor crowd. Yeah, it definitely will be. It always is whenever Connor's fighting. And, you know, Poirier has a great approach to this. And he he's told this to me before the last fight and before this fight is like, he has a box, a mental box in his head. And everything outside of that box is completely irrelevant to him. Like we're going to see a press conference tonight and I'm sure that Connor's going to try to get in his head. But if Poirier stays true to that mantra that everything outside of that box is irrelevant, I think that's what's going to give him the best chance here. Is like if you can if you can escape the Connor hoopla. And the last time around, he had to look at a guy that had knocked him out in the first round as the fight started. Now he gets to look at a guy that he just beat. So that mental edge goes to him automatically. You know, Connor last time he entered the cage was looking at a guy that was like shark bait for him the first time. And now Connor's going to enter the cage looking at a guy that beat him six months ago, right? Less than six months ago. So, you know, there are mental uh, parts of the game that, you know, while a lot of the fighters won't admit it, like that, that plays into their head mentally. Do you think Connor's going to be more prepared this time around? Because there was all the buzz, like he, not that he wasn't taking the fight seriously, but he's a man with a lot of stuff on the go <laughs> at the moment, uh, outside of the octagon, whether it be business ventures or whatever he's up to. Like, is he actually going to like, it feels like he really needs to take this one serious, at least in my mind. Maybe I'm completely wrong about this. But when I think about his earning potential after this fight, if it's another loss, like what's his next move if he loses this fight? Well, I, I don't know how I can gauge whether or not he'll be more or less prepared. It seems like he's bringing in all the same kind of people as he had last time. Um, he hasn't really hinted at the last camp not going well. And he has talked in the past about like the Habib camp not going well and him kind of, you know, disappearing <laughs> for times and just it being discombobulated. He did say that this time around, the camp felt like it was more of a camp. Like he was there, he was listening to his coaches, he was learning a lot more. But again, a lot of the stuff, unless you can see it, you almost have to put it in the Dustin Poirier box. It's like, it's unless you can have firsthand knowledge of it, it's really difficult to say whether or not someone's going to be more or less prepared. Uh, and now to answer the second part of your question, what does a loss or a win mean for Condor? I don't think it means much to his legacy either way. And, uh, you know, it's an unpopular opinion, but his legacy right now is a guy who's won two championships and transcended the sport. He was the first double champion, uh, to, first champion to hold two belts at the same time. And he became the biggest star in the sport. He became the highest grossing athlete in the world in 2020, according to Forbes magazine. In mixed martial arts, it's just uncharted territory. 
does a loss change that legacy? I, I don't think it does. Does a win change that legacy? I don't think it does either. I think the only way he can change his legacy is by winning another belt or winning and then defending a belt, doing stuff he hasn't already done. I think that his legacy is almost sealed at this point. You know, unless he starts really overcommitting to mixed martial arts and losing three, four fights in a row and then really flaming out late in his career. And we've seen people do that and it doesn't affect their legacy either. Okay. But I, I just don't. Yeah. Maybe, maybe legacy is the wrong word. I'm just thinking about Connor obviously wants to, you said he's the high, he was the highest earning athlete last year. I assume that he wants to continue to make millions and millions and millions of dollars losing again. And then when you go and look at his record from like the past five years, it's not going to be very good that he might not get the highest profile. I mean, maybe, maybe a loss is a good thing because maybe he just leaves the UFC once his contract's up and he starts doing these like promotional fights that seem to pay everyone way more money that are far less taxing on you. And like when, when I mentioned like the Paul brothers, because their entire model fascinates me that why wouldn't Connor kind of go down that route route where he just has these like exhibition matches or they can even be regulation matches if he can find the the right state to regulate them or the right place to regulate them and just own all of the pay-per-view and not have to worry about the UFC anymore. Well, what's the price where the UFC would let him walk? Because what? even though he would be he would be a free agent, they still have a matching window. They can still match offers. Yeah, but so, they're not they're not going to pay Connor like if if he can sort of pull the Mayweather, pull the Paul brothers type thing where he owns the promotion that's putting it on or he gets like a 50% cut of pay-per-view buys or something like that, then it's going to be like 50 million, 60 million bucks. The UFC is not going to match that. Yeah, I would agree with that. I would agree with that. And I, and I do think that like you said, if he loses, his stock will take a hit. But how much? I mean, he's still one of the most recognizable people in the world of sports. I still I still think people will be lining up to have him do endorsements and maybe even be in movies. He's always turned down movie roles because he's so focused on, on his fighting career and on his business endeavors. He doesn't want to add something else to his plate. But I, I just don't think that a loss is, is this, this, it's not this do or die fight for Connor. It's not one of these things where a loss is just a, it's a career killer. He's got so many more big fights ahead of him, regardless of what happens. I, I agree with you that he would have the bigger fights available to him. Uh, just because he's going to have the name recognition and sell all those pay-per-views. I just wonder if it's in the UFC or if it's, like I said, like I, as an independent fighting, you know, not like who would be logically if he, let's say he loses this fight and we can talk about when he wins the fight too. But if he loses this fight, who is his next UFC opponent? Like Nate Diaz trilogy. I would say, I would say that would be what would make the most sense and make the most dollars. But that's not like, a, but but now we're into the the part of his career where he's not contending for titles or anything like that anymore. Like we're just past that point. Yeah, I would say so. I would say you're looking at fights against Masvidal. You're looking at fights against uh, Nate Diaz. You're looking at money fights, basically. And I don't know if Connor would be satisfied with that. To be honest, I don't know if he is if he wants to fight just for the love of the game. I think he does want to improve his legacy. He does want to prove that even though he made all of this money, he can still be the top player in the sport the top guy, you know, the guy who's going to be able to still win a belt, even though everybody has written him off because he's so consumed with everything else. I think that that means something to him to prove he's always, always wanting to prove the doubters wrong. And I, I think that's why he's still doing this. Well, let's, let's say he wins. Let's say he has a pretty convincing win over Poirier here. He gets a first round knockout, second round knockout, something like that. In terms of the UFC, who would his next opponent be then? Do you think? Be Charles Oliveira for the title. I think he, he wants to win that title back. He wants to prove that he can be a champion again at this stage in his career and maybe even defend the championship, which he had never done when he had won both of the titles pr uh, prior. He's never had a successful title defense or even attempted to defend the title. So maybe that's something that he wants to do. But uh, I mean, Charles Oliveira is not going to be an easy matchup for him either. No, that's, that's going to be tough. So 
Oh, it, it's just, it's so fascinating to me. Just like I said, I, I like my fascination with what the Paul brothers are doing, what Mayweather has done. It just seems like he's, he's tangentially connected enough to those guys that I think he sees the writing on the wall where, Hey, I can make way more money and take a lot less damage. It would have to be a legacy thing that would keep him around after this point, win or lose potentially. Yeah, I don't know how many more fights he has left on his contract either, right? I don't know what the uh, situation is with that because I think it would take a lot for the UFC to allow him to walk. He's he's their biggest uh, cash cow in really the promotion's history. And I still still think he carries a lot of promotional value even if he loses this fight, even if he gets blown out in the first round. I still think that he can, if he fights Diaz for a third time, you're still talking about a $12 million gate. You're still talking about 2 million pay-per-view buys. There's nobody else right now that can do that in the UFC. Who who would be like two and three in terms of buys right now after McGregor? Like, is, is there anyone even in his stratosphere? Because McGregor no. is, is the biggest since what, like Rousey? Or like he passed Rousey. He's passed Rousey. But, but, but Rousey uh, yeah. was the biggest, right? Yeah, I would say so. I don't think there's anybody that sniffs him honestly right now. I, like, I don't know. If, if you were to tell me, you know, make a fight that does a million buys on pay-per-view. I mean, Nate versus Jorge too, maybe does like a, a rematch of that BMF championship. Maybe Jones and Ganu does. I think Jones and Ganu would draw a million, but I don't think either of them autonomously is a big draw. I think it's more of a, a circumstance of having a big matchup, but uh, yeah, there's just, there's not, there's nothing really that compares to a Conor McGregor fight in terms of box office. It's, it's just 2 million buys for the UFC is astronomical compared to what they normally do. And what would we what would we be looking like? What did the Mayweather Connor fight do in terms of buys? I think it did. I think it did around four, if I'm not mistaken, four million. I, I can't remember offhand, but it was a big number. Like, and the gate was a big number too. I think it was. I think it was the second or third biggest gate in Nevada history. Like, do you, do you think that the UFC? I mean, it, it's a really tricky situation because obviously they want these buys, they want this gate revenue, they want to make money. That's sort of agenda number one for them, and but they also need to have legitimacy when it comes into it. Like, do you see them pulling any sort of stunts with bringing in guys? Like, does Brock Lesnar ever fight again? I don't think so. I think that I think that ship has sailed at this point in time. But I think if he was interested, Dana White will pick up the phone because you have a guy who's a former heavyweight champion. Um, that has wrestling credentials. I mean, actual, actual wrestling, not pro wrestling credentials, but actual wrestling credentials that you can always sell. So I think you would pick up the phone, but I don't think we're going to see Brock Lesnar back at the UFC. Are, are there any other like gimmicky people that you could potentially bring in that would? You could bring in GSP. I mean, if they could find something for GSP that would intrigue him, maybe. How old but is, I don't think GSP, GSP has a, he's, I think he's 40. No, that's not that bad. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I don't think that there's anything that GSP would really would get GSP out of bed right now, unless Habib was coming back. Well, Habib is another, another name right there, that if they could get Habib out of retirement, now you're talking at least a million buys as well, because Habib's a big draw. But, I, uh, it, like, it, like, yeah, I don't know. If you did, let, let's say McGregor loses, and now he's in sort of like his big prize money fight, could you get a GSP-McGregor fight? Maybe. Maybe GSP would want to do that. Um, I think the GSP would, would probably be favored in that situation, honestly, if... if, if uh, Connor was coming off a loss, even a 40 year old GSP, if they're fighting at 170 pounds, I think maybe he would be the favorite in that fight. But I don't, I don't, I don't even know if that gets GSP out of that. I don't know if that helps his, I don't think him beating a guy that's lost two in a row improves his legacy. And he's always said that the only way he wants to come out of retirement, at least for mixed martial arts is if it's going to improve his legacy. He wanted the Habib fight. Habib's now retired. 
I, I think that ship might have also sailed. Yeah, maybe so. But I mean, I see GSP up here in Canada doing commercials for some like eighth rate gambling site. Like, is he running out of money? What's going on? <laughs> no, he's just taking endorsements. You never run You never run out of money if you're GSP. You just keep adding money. You keep adding more. He's yeah, also but- doing the Avengers. That what's it called? That uh, Falcon and the Winter Hawk he's, or uh, Winter Soldier. He's, he's, he's doing high profile acting gigs now as well. Yeah, maybe, but if you come back and fight Connor, you're, you're going to have like a you know, like an eight figure payday. I think he's I think he's pretty much set. I don't know. I think the money is still something that would intrigue him, but I don't I don't know if that would get him out of retirement. Honestly, I think that it just it, it's too much of a risk for his legacy in in his mind. I don't know if it actually is, but in his mind, I think it would be too much of a risk for his legacy. All right, well, let's talk about the rest of the card because there are some other good fights outside of the main event. Which one are you the most intrigued about? Well, the one I'm most excited to watch is Michelle Pereira against Nico Price, because these two guys are just complete maniacs, and it's going to be a fun one. But uh, in terms of what carries the most weight, I, I would say it's probably Burns and Thompson, the, main, the co-main event. But in, in terms of what I'm actually looking the most forward to, that Nico Price-Michelle Pereira fight has like everything, every ingredient of being just a complete circus. Is Pereira going to be doing like backflips onto him? Yeah, yeah, he is. That's exactly what he's going to be doing. He's going to be doing standing backflips and landing on him. If, if he has the opportunity to. Well, I, I was these just looking- two, just, these are just two wild men, Pat. Like these so- are, these are two guys that, um, you know, that, that, that it's just, again, it's a recipe for just a total circus of a fight. Do you, do you have any particular lean on Tui Vasa and Greg Hardy? I like the Greg Hardy by decision prop at plus 375. I think that Greg Hardy might be able to take Tui Vasa down and, uh, and, and stay on top of him. For and just just kind of outpoint him over the course of three rounds. I, I like the the value on that. I think it's like plus three seventy five. Um, that that would be my lean for that one. I think Hardy will be able to have more cardio than Tuivasa down the line. And I mean that that even though he's an, a guy who has asthma, I still think that he can outlast Tuivasa if the if the fight goes longer. He's going to be a lot bigger than Tuivasa. Um, he's shown that he has the propensity to take a punch. I don't think he's been knocked out yet in his career. So. You know, I, I think that Hardy by decision would be the way that I would I would go in that one. I think it, I think if it does go the distance, it's his fight to to lose. In fact, if you can find an uh, the odds on Tui Vasa scorecards equals no action, that might be another way to play it because I don't know if Hardy's going to get a finish against Tui Vasa. He's a very durable guy. Hmm, interesting. I'm just looking down the rest of the card. It was good for Sean O'Malley that he has to like he gets to be on the biggest card of the year against someone who's like shouldn't be in the UFC. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think he, he recently uh, quoted Chael Sonnen, which said, you want to have the highest spot on the card against the worst possible fighter. That's like the <laughs> recipe for success in your career. I mean, people will, <laughs> like, especially if he comes out, puts on a show, especially with his intro or whatever hair color he currently has at the moment, and just absolutely smoke some guy. Like, it's going to be a good look for him, regardless of how good he actually is. Yeah, you, you know what I like actually in that fight? Here, let me, I've got, I've got uh, best fight odds up in front of me. The odds on O'Malley by submission are plus 1200 and O'Malley's an awesome grappler. Like people don't realize how good this guy is as a grappler. So if you want like a little Pat Mayo special, I would recommend O'Malley by submission because I think he wants to show off his grappling game. And this is going to be kind of an exhibition for him almost. If, if, unless Moutinho is the real deal. I don't know too much about Chris Moutinho, but I think that uh, if you watched O'Malley when he did, I forget which grappling tournament he was in. It was the one with the teams. Um, I forget what it's called, but he was really good. He was, he was really hanging uh, when it came to the grappling. And I think that he's going he's gonna to want to show that off in this fight. Well, Paul gave out two super long shot props on Dogger Pass. Paul, was it, was it Max Griffin by decision? Was that the one? Submission. By submission. 
Griffin by sub plus 1600. Yeah. I don't know if I, I, I like the O'Malley one better than that. No disrespect to, uh, to our, our, our fellow colleague, Paul Shaughnessy. Uh, bronze setters talking shit, Paul. Well, apparently it's all good. Okay. Well, there you go. Very Canadian uh, response. Uh, Tavares round three was the other one that he had. What's that like 18 to one? 16 to 1 to Vera's round three. It's 12, it's plus 1200 now. So people must be listening to the show. I mean, uh, people do listen to the show. Yeah, they must and, be listening. But but that is a good prop. I like that one because Tavares is, is a, a guy who can be in a fight for, you know, three full rounds and is always really tough. So, uh, but Ahmedov is a tough out also. So I could see that. But again, I, I like O'Malley by sub. I think that uh, at plus 1200, that, that kind of value on a guy who really is a good grappler. And and probably wants to show off new wrinkles to his game. It might be worth a might be worth a sprinkle, as Cam would say. I mean, I assume after working with Cam, you've seen how he kind of bets on everything. So when I used to sit next to him at Fantasy, he used to bet on golfers, and I don't know how he could have seventy four golfers all start at the top of his list. Like I don't know why he started them. It was just the entire leaderboard the entire time. But he seems to have a sprinkle on everyone, <laughs> especially if they have a fun nickname. If they've got a fun nickname that he's come up with, that's like his guy. <laughs> I mean, I, I fall into that trap, too, so I, I, I can't really comment on that. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. I was scoping around on DealDash.com the other day because I've heard that people have saved big money there, and I tell you, what I saw, I almost couldn't believe. They had auctions on a crazy wide variety of quality products, and people were winning them at truly shocking prices. So, here's the question. How much can you save at DealDash.com? Well, that's completely up to you. Some people save 80%. Some people save 90%. Some people save 99%. Really, the only way to find out how much you can save is to visit deal-.com today and use promo code MAYO. That's deal-.com, promo code M-A-Y-O, in case you can't spell, to see how much you can save. Deal-dash, where deals come true. Welcome to StockX, the only live marketplace for what's now and next. Whether it's the latest sneakers, apparel, electronics, collectibles, or trading cards, everything on StockX is brand new and 100% verified authentic. With StockX, you have the power to shop millions of hard-to-find or sold-out products at their true market value. Discover products that are on trend and ahead of the trends by shopping on StockX. Download the app or sign up online to start buying and selling in a few easy clicks. Start shopping at StockX.com. Access the now. Uh, DraftKings picks for this card. It's going to be really interesting. Is there anyone at the bottom? of the pricing like that's how i always like to work my ufc lineups because obviously we can look at the implied odds implied knockout odds people are pretty properly priced but you still need to find your guy below 7500 or two guys below 7500 that you actually think that can win whether it be by knockout or decision knockout preferable probably unless they're gonna have like 45 takedowns during the match or have all of the time in terms of control but from down that way is there anyone that you see because it from what I can tell, after listening to Paul and Cody, like Nico Price is a live dog versus Pereira. He's only $7,300. Like you said, that's probably going to be a banger. So if he wins, he's probably going to score a lot of points. And the other one was the first guy in the card. Who? Who that winner? How Zong? <laughs> uh, at 7200 bucks. 
Yeah, Yao Zong is actually not bad for, for that one. But you mentioned a knockout or decision. But how about submission? Ryan the Wizard Hall at $7,100. I mean, this is a guy that if you give this guy an inch, he will sub you. Like, he's, this guy is, has otherworldly grappling skills in the UFC. Like, he's, he's probably the least athletic-looking guy in the UFC. But he's got that chest hair, which, which can really, you know, it's like Velcro sometimes. And uh, this guy's got just an array of, of leg locks and all kinds of different um, submissions that he's really mastered. So to get him at $7,100, I think he could sneak out a, a round one sub. I, that, wouldn't, that wouldn't shock me. And then basically, if you don't have him on your slate, you're done. So Ryan Hall would be the guy that I would look at low. And I, I also like Gilbert Burns at 7,700. I know that that uh, price tag isn't, isn't uh, you know, it's, it's kind of in the middle. But I think, I, I think he should be favored in this fight, honestly. And uh, to get him at that kind of a price, I think is, is really good. You should probably have him on your, uh, on your, on your lineup if you're um, going to look to win this one. You know, if you, I mean, we're talking GPP lineups here. So Hall would make sense with that finish. If we went with Burns on top. Burns could finish this fight in the first round. Yeah. Burns, can, Burns, Burns is, uh, his striking has really improved. His power really translated at 170 pounds. And he's one of the best grapplers in the UFC to boast. So um, I, I think he can finish this fight in an array of ways. So if you go Hall and Burns and just start from the bottom working up, you're left with 8,800 left. I mean, you probably want um, O'Malley, right? Or do you want uh, Double Z? Whose yeah, name I, I won't even try to pronounce. I would say you should take O'Malley. No, Double Z is going to win a decision, right? So like Double Z is an avoid at that price. Might win the fight, but like he's one of those guys where if you like, if you want a real slam dunk, and even then, I don't know if it is a slam dunk. That, that's just a total avoid for me, uh, honestly. I wouldn't go near Zhumabulov. Um, But yeah, I, I would put O'Malley in there. Um, I would probably put Jennifer Maya in there. I think Jennifer Maya is going to be able to outclass Jessica I, but that's another one that could go to a decision, right? So, you know, buyer beware on that one. Um, you know, Michelle Pereira, this guy's a finisher. He's got just a, an array of attacks and you might be looking at, at Nico because you're, you're getting good value on him as well. So another one that's kind of tough. And, and Brad Tavares, I like actually at 8,600 bucks. Um, I think that he should at the very least outpoint Ahmed over the, the course of the fight. Yeah, well, there was a, the guy with the uh, with the French name whose name I mean, UFC is tough. If you're not following all this stuff, D Duplessis is that a name? Odricus Duplessis. Yes, yeah. he's a uh, South African fighter. Oh, he's South uh, African. That's that fight. Yeah, that fight's a total avoid for me. That fight, I think that fight goes to a decision. That's the one. That's the thing I like in that fight. The over two and a half is like minus one fifteen. I like the over in that fight. Okay, so I mean, we don't necessarily need. Like, if someone's going to go to the decision, that's fine. They just need to be active and doing stuff the entire. Yeah, but fight. I, I don't. I don't have any sort of strong feel that Duplessis is going to be Giles or vice versa. So that's that's one of the ones I would I would avoid as well. Like if we're making unless, mu- unless you feel like you have a strong read on it. I mean, I, I don't know who this guy is, so I don't have a strong read on it. <laughs> you don't follow the South African region of MMA, the EFC. Is that what? It, that's what it is the EFC. Yeah, the EFC of uh, that's the big South African promotion where Drikus Duplessis did some of his finest work, followed by the KSW, which uh, your friends over the Fight Network uh, carry. And uh, let's see, who else do we have? Like with with Pereira versus Price, like if you were playing, let's say like three lineups, would you be smart to almost play the same lineup and just take both sides of that fight in alternate lineups? I think so. Knowing that, yeah, like, I think that there's going to be you're gunning there's for there's the a upside. high propensity for a finish in that fight, regardless of which side it is. I would lean Pereira. But again, that, that's a pretty hefty price tag at 8900 And I think the reason why is because this guy can, can finish this fight pretty much anywhere at any time. 
Um, so in terms of DraftKings scoring, obviously you'd want the winner in McGregor Poirier, but that's going to be a five round fight. Just the potential for more scoring is available there, but just because you can go into deeper waters and have an extra two rounds to pile up DraftKings points. I have a feeling that Poirier is going to be the guy that everyone goes to. I think I might just take McGregor and hope for something, hope for something real quick to happen. Or even if he paces himself, he still has gas in the third round. Yeah. McGregor's kind of the jackpot pick. Like if, if you, if you want to take one of those two sides with the higher upside, I would say it's probably McGregor. But that being said, if it goes five rounds, Poirier is a volume machine and he's going to land a lot of strikes, right? So you might want to have one of those two guys on your lineup. And if you're going to put multiple lineups together, just kind of alternate between those two guys as well. Because uh, you you might get an early McGregor finish. And then if you take Poirier, you're, you're, you're bust. Or you could have a, you know, a Poirier third, fourth round finish with a lot of volume, right? Or, or even the fight going to a decision and him landing a lot of volume, win or lose, right? So... You, you might want to look at both of those sides as well when you're making the lineup. Yeah, just, just looking at his past five fights, Poirier scored over 100 in all of them except for the Khabib fight, which he scored eight DraftKings points. Here's, here's the note. Uh, if you're ever trying to stack the main event on DraftKings, don't do it against Khabib. Yeah, don't do it against Khabib because, because he'll blow out the opponent, right? So, I mean, Khabib's gone now, so it's kind of a non-factor. But um, I also like Yana Kunitskaya at $7,900. I think that she has shown um, a lot more aggression in her recent fights. She's got decent grappling, and if she can take Aldana down and hold her there, I, I can imagine that she'll win a decision. So if you're looking for an underdog play, somebody under $8,000, Kuniskaya, I think, would be a smart one as well. Yeah, if she can win and wins by decision, she actually scores well in her decisions. 92 points, 109, 119, 82. In, you know. Yeah, she, put the vol- she turns up the volume for sure, and I think that she's looked like a better fighter in her recent fights. And even when she lost to Ladd, uh, she still scored 40 points in that fight, despite... You know, not going to the distance and losing. I mean, you're, we're never really talking about what a person can score in terms of GPPs in a loss, but if that's a place where you want to save some money, if she can still pile up volume along the way and then lose late in a cash game or a double up, you could probably, that's still a pretty decent floor. I wish she was cheaper though, is the thing. Yeah, I mean, at 7,900, she's kind of in the middle of the road. So it's, it's one of those ones where she could fill your lineup, but um, yeah, I, I'm kind of with you on that because most women's fights tend to go to a decision or go late. And uh, if it does go to a decision, I mean, your your scoring uh, potential is a lot lower. All right. Well, let's talk. You talked with Dana White this week, right, on your show? I spoke to Dana White. I spoke to Conor McGregor yesterday. I spoke to Poirier this week. So, you know, fire at me. So so what, what, what's the vibe? I'm just that... name dropping left and right here, Pat. I mean, this, this is why I have you on. You're the one who's talking to all these people. <laughs> so like, how, how is Dana feeling about this one? He's feeling great. I mean, like I said, it's going to be the second uh, biggest gate they've ever done in Nevada. Uh, the third biggest gate they've ever done, period. Uh, he, he says that it's, he, I asked him to predict whether or not it goes over 2 million buys. And he says he believes it's going to go over 2 million buys. He says it's the most pre-buys they've had in the history of uh, their the company. So I think going into this one, he mentioned all the celebrities that are going to be there. Um, Donald Trump uh, is going to be there. Whoa, hold on, hold on. Tr- um, Trump is going to be in attendance at Trump this? Trump is going to be there. Trump is going to be in attendance. Yeah, you got, you're going to have Trump there, Kevin Durant. OBJ is going to be there. Um, Mel Gibson, uh, <laughs> Courtney Kardashian, Mel and uh, Travis Barker. Yeah, Mel Gibson's gonna be there, right? So, 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 you, so it's a bunch. A... So it's a bunch of like high, high end, like NFL and NBA skill position people, and then like really problematic old dudes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Clint Eastwood is not gonna be in attendance, from what I understand. But yeah, pr- pretty much problematic old old guys. But uh, you've also got like Machine Gun Kelly and folks of that ilk that are gonna be there. 
I mean, is there any way, I mean, if, if Trump is, I mean, I don't know how old Trump is now. He must be close to like 78 or something like that. Anyway, yeah, he's, we, probably, he's nearing 80. Any way that Dana can get him involved with uh, you know, like managing someone or coming in? Like, can, can he hook Trump up with Colby Covington for the next time that he fights? Just have him out there with a megaphone like Jimmy Hart. Yeah, ba- ba- basically, like if this is like if Connor's the big draw and then there's no one after it, you know, you put Trump with with Colby Covington, like that's going to do some buys. Yeah, Trump would be a big a big buy in uh, a big draw in combat sports if you could figure out some way to to utilize him in that regard. It'd be very. I mean, him and him and Dana are buddies, right? Like he spoke at the RNC, I think. Yeah, Dana, Dana did speak at the RNC. How about him versus Low Energy Jeb in a uh, in a grappling match? That <laughs> okay. would do well. I mean, numbers. If there's one thing like almost 80 year old Donald Trump has, it's a ton of energy. It seems, yeah, low energy yeah. Jeb. I don't know how I feel about him. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, the, the longer the fight goes, I think is it, uh, it 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 favors Jeb because he doesn't exert that much energy, and then he'll just have he'll just have a good a good gas tank throughout the entire uh, the entire fight. So when you speak with someone like Connor and speak with someone like Poirier, in terms of it being like a real interview that you show and then like people are interested in, like I would assume McGregor's media training is through the roof. How's Poirier? Not great in terms of his media training. He just kind of is who he is. And um, I don't, I just think he hates doing interviews. Like, so he, I wouldn't say he mails it in. He still does give thoughtful answers. But uh, you can just tell he doesn't want to be there. And I don't think Connor really wants to be doing them either. I think there's some pushback from him, according to Dana White this week, uh, for, for him to be doing his media obligations. But, you know, when Connor gets in front of a camera, he's smooth, right? Like he's, he'll, give you, he'll give you his time. So that's kind of uh, the way that I would look at it. Yeah, I, I wasn't really joking. I mean, Trump is probably an exaggeration to be like a manager type. But do you think that it would help if these guys had a mouthpiece that could be like when they do interviews with you or interviews with someone else. I know that Dana kind of acts as that as the big promoter, but if these individual guys had someone to go speak on their behalf, that it might be a bit more interesting. There are some Brazilian guys that have Walid Ismail as their manager and they don't speak English and he gets on the mic and he just like rips promos. He would be the example of that, of a manager that like takes the spotlight from the fighter when the fighter doesn't know how to speak English. He'll like, he'll be yelling stuff. When I've interviewed his guys that do speak English, he yells stuff from the sides being like, call this guy out. And he's a former fighter in his own right. He used to fight in pride. So, I mean, he's like, he's like an old school martial arts guy. That's just like kind of a loose cannon. So anytime you're dealing with one of his fighters, that's kind of the closest comparison you get to a wrestling manager. Yeah, see, I think that would, just the promos for this stuff. Like, Connor really knows how to play it up, and he knows how to sell these fights. Feels like the UFC should have some sort of program that they have internally. Like, hey, you're doing an eight-hour session today of, like, how to talk more shit and try to rile people up. I think the UFC like giving their people the least media training possible. I think they like having the authenticity there. I mean, if you look at how hockey players speak in their interviews, like, I mean, they're, they're so... I don't know when they start doing this training with them, but, like, they're, they're basically... Like they're just not themselves. They're very robotic. Yeah, Whereas but, when you're interviewing mixed martial artists, they're very like they're very outgoing and have a lot of stories to tell. Sure, I, I think you could preserve that, but you need to figure out how to make it a bit more outgoing and a bit more I don't know wrestling like. Yeah, and I think, but I think some of the fighters know that and they do that. Like you look at a Sean O'Malley, you look at Connor. A lot of the big fighters do have that that kind of element. I mean, Ronda Rousey even like was a big pro wrestling fan, so she gets it. Chael Sonnen was example A of how you can elevate your career just by being good on the mic. So uh, you're definitely onto something there, but I don't think that they want to manufacture it. I think I think when you force it too much, like a Colby Covington, and he has gotten a little bit more popular, I'm sure, 
it comes off as forced. And I don't think that that's, I think that's kind of the opposite of what they want. True. I, I think what we're looking for is like an amplification of someone's actual personality. Cause some of the guys you just mentioned, whether it be, you know, Sonnen became, it felt like he became a much bigger star well past his prime and like Sean, well, sure. and Sean O'Malley's not like elite by any means, but people now know who he is and they're going to know who he is after this. Cause he's going to make such a spectacle out of the entire thing. Like if you had like Adesanya being out there and like, you know, having this amplified personality oh, he does adesanya does adesanya talks a ton of a ton of smack and he trolls guys on the internet like he's he, he does it in his own way but he's good at that and yeah. he's gotten he's he's elevated his career i think due in part to not only what he does in the cage but but his ability to to, uh, to speak on the mic sure but it's just all of the top end guys it feels like if the ufc is looking for like a next big draw that one of these top end guys who's actually good needs to be like this too yeah, like if they could get Francis and Ganu to start talking smack about people and like ripping promos, I think that he could be like the biggest star in the world because he knocks guys out in like 40 seconds. Like that's the only part, that's the part of his game that could that could still be elevated is like just his his trash talk game. Yeah, it's really sad that this is what we have to, when we're talking about a UFC card and that, I mean, this is where my mind goes because this is the part of the UFC. No, that hey, I'm, I'm, I'm just following the Mayo train. Wherever you're taking this thing, I'm, I'm on board. Well, I just saw that they signed a huge deal with, what is this? Crypto.com. Yeah, cr- what? $175 million deal over 10 years, reportedly. I feel like it should be more than that, shouldn't it? 10 years? Uh, 17.5 million a year. That's not bad. Like when I first saw it, I thought it was going to be 175 million a year for this sort of promotion. No, I, I think $175 million is a lot of money uh, for, for this kind of thing. But yeah, I mean, they're going to get placement on the uh, on the uniforms, uh, in the octagon for pay-per-views, for the Dana White contenders here. So they're getting a lot of value out of that. Um, and hey, man, $175 million is a lot of Dogecoin. That, that is, unless it goes down and then people aren't buying the dip and it just stays there. Then it's worth a lot less, I hear. Well, fair enough. Are you, are you or if Elon it? Musk rips it on uh, SNL, then, then it just goes down by 50%. I don't even know if Elon Musk is trolling or what he's up to with some of this stuff. I think he's just like, yeah, I don't care. He's I'm, just so I'm, sad. He can do whatever he wants. He can just mess with people's lives. He's like, yeah, I'm so rich. It doesn't matter. I'm going to go live on Mars for the next five years. So it, it really doesn't bother me. All right, man. Anything else about, oh no, give me a Jeff story before you get out of here. Like, cause Jeff used to, to tell me that he had to like box out Cam from eating Chinese food before the show. Cause then Cam would get really sleepy on the show. I can't think of any great jeff stories from hsr i mean the first day he he was there he was like an intern and cam sat down at a computer and cam was very territorial about the computers and if somebody else logged on he would like make us think about it but the he goes he goes to log in he goes who is geoff feinberg and that was like the first day that jeff was there and that's like how kind of how geoff was born but uh as, as a nickname uh, there's also like the uh, you know when i was uh, at tsn we got philip rivers to call him that's like you can watch that on youtube that was like my favorite jeff moment was like hearing him on the other side of that phone call because i was in the room with philip rivers at the time oh no sorry i wasn't in the room with philip rivers i connected the call philip wasn't with us he was like uh wherever he was but i I conferenced him in and i could hear the whole thing and i could just hear geoff and just utter disbelief and i knew that it was going to make like be, be like a, a a big highlight in his life that I, that we were able to put this together so that was a lot of fun and I, I set that up behind the scenes with Glennie Mac and we had it so that the camera was rolling and we we're like you know Jeff someone's on the phone for you and uh man I I love that video you can find it on YouTube still just like seeing his seeing that moment where he realized that realizes that it actually is Philip Rivers on the line with him yeah, we, we were all, he didn't really know what was going on because we told him we had a special guest on the phone for him. And then there was like 20 of us all packed outside the studio, just like staring through it and watching him. And I think he felt really uncomfortable. And then 
I think at first he thought that we were trolling him about it. But I think as soon as he yeah, said, right. as soon as Philip said, your friend Aaron has hooked up this call, I think he knew it was real. Yeah, because uh, at that time I was like the talent producer at TSN and I had all, <laughs> I was uh, booking guests left and right, right? So yeah, it's, uh, that was, that was, that was a, a great moment in terms of, uh, of seeing Giel. I'm trying to, I'm, I'm trying to think. You put me on the spot earlier in the show and I was like, I'm going to have time to think about this. And then, of course, we're doing a show, so I don't have that much time to think about it. But uh, yeah, I mean, working at HSR and the score was just like a total circus. It was like, we, we did you ever hear the story about a guy named Psycho Mike? No. All right. So we had an intern named Psycho Mike that, that was nicknamed Psycho Mike. And um, he was a guy that did real estate on the side. And uh, he was just like a degenerate gambler. And one day he bet, I think it was, I think it was a spread. He bet the the Patriots to win and he bet $35,000, $35,000. I think it was on it, but it was a preseason game. It was a, it was not a, it was not a regular season game, but I think it was $35,000 on a preseason Patriots game. I think it was like minus six and a half or something. Um, and he lost and we, he, he came in with like a paper bag full of money to give to somebody because he had lost this, like <laughs> this ridiculous bet. Like if you're going to bet on something preseason NFL football, as you know, Pat is probably the dumbest thing you could ever bet on. Um, don't ever tell that to Gabe. Cause he will spend 12 minutes live oh, uh, yeah, on, live on true. air yelling at you about it. Cause that happened to me. <laughs> well, the people at the assignment desk used to hate me because I'd, I'd go to the assignment desk at, midnight and one of the guys from the assignment desk that worked at the score works with me now at tsn and sits at the desk next to me and still remembers this where i'd be like uh i'd go there at like 11 30 and be like hey can you get like the uh, pepperdine game on like remote seven and it's because gabe had money on pepperdine and it was like a midnight start well it, it was like doing, doing it, was, it was like the only live sports yeah. at the time that we could get on the, on the, on the feed it, it was the <laughs> only game you could watch live at the time that sounds like a recipe for gabe to have money on it yeah yeah I, exactly the, the best one we ever had the first time Cust ever came into the office at Fantasy, the first thing he saw was Gabe for 45 minutes on the line with some gambling book, arguing with him about like a Norwegian table tennis game that the sets, sets actually went over and he had the over, but they called it a loser. And he was just yelling at this guy on the other end. He's like, I was watching this. And it was poor, poor <laughs> Cust was like, oh, my God, what have I gotten myself into here? Well, imagine me having my first job in the industry it was it was. <laughs> full-time producing game show <laughs> but uh yeah i loved i loved uh, i loved that job but i mean i i've got stories like i've there are lots of stories well we'll have to we'll <laughs> have to have gabe on to see if he will confirm these did he used to show up like 30 seconds before a live show and just no, sit no, down no. And go? gabe was at the office like the whole time gabe was the opposite of that that's the thing people don't understand about gabe is like gabe is a workhorse like gabe his show would start at like 11 and he'd be there at like at like four and I think that, that like a lot of the people at the score were like disturbed by this because like bringing Gabe into like a regular office environment in like, at like the end of the day is like, it's like having a tornado go through your building every day, but he'd be there at four and he'd just be like scribbling notes. And like, he was the opposite of a guy that would show up like 30 minutes before the show. Like I know Bob McCowan, I think takes pride in the fact that he used to show up like right before the show and just go into a show. Gabe was the opposite. He'd be there. He'd like to chop it up with everybody. He'd like to watch the games. He'd be taking notes. Like he, he was like really, really, very prepared and and like i worked with michael landsberg too and he was the same way landsberg was there first thing in the morning watching things all day taking a bunch of notes trying to find interesting stuff on the internet like they're just both um both of them are, are kind of similar in that in that regard in ter terms of their actual personalities you couldn't be further apart on the spectrum but it's uh it's just it's been amazing in my career to be able to sit and watch these people prepare well it's um, funny because it's, i learned yeah, it's, i learned a ton from gabe just a 
people forget how because of his personality like how good of a host and like analyst he actually is like i mean when you have like 20 years of like hosting shows you're gonna get really good at it but he can go from hosting one sport one show for a half hour type like tv show to being like three hours live on the internet right after that so i think now like he's just he's rolled up so much and has so many different shows i think he's on tv like eight hours a day (laughs) it's always kind of been that way like he 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 the more time he has off the air like the more trouble he thinks he's going to get into so he likes to do these these gigs right so um yeah like i i just remember producing his show and thinking afterwards like i'm working on one of the most entertaining radio shows in the world right now like i wish people would listen to the show because i just had so much um faith that we were putting on such an entertaining show every single day because he was so good like he was he was so good at what he did and he was so good at at, i i I feel like the best radio hosts um ever at least of the last 30 years, like the Howard Stearns of the world, the, you know, Scott Farrell, Gabe, like they're good at building communities and, and inventing characters on their shows that, that become part of the show and become part of, of that, that bubble, that community. And Gabe is so good at that. Um, and I, again, I think that's a trait that only really the best have. Well, you have to go record your podcast right now. What's coming up on that? What are you talking about? Uh, so I do two podcasts a week. One is the interview edition where I, I take basically all the interviews I do over the course of the week and I, I compile it onto a single show for people that enjoy interview content more. And then the other show is just, uh, it's me and Bazooka Joe Valtellini, who was a former glory kickboxing champion, um, coach of some UFC fighters. We, we kind of just chop it up, talk about the news, talk about everything that's going on in, in the world of MMA. So it's kind of two separate. One is more of a talk format and one's an interview, uh, interview format. So the interview format one is done, and now uh, the talk format one begins. All right. Aaron Bronstetter, you can check him out on Twitter. He's always tweeting out. Are you still doing your Periscopes live before? Yeah, I do. The, it's now Twitter live, I guess. They, they they abandoned Periscope, and I think they're probably trying to rebuild it, but I still I still am able to go live uh, right before the event. So, yeah, I usually I, I do about 30 minutes before the event myself and Dan Tom from MMA Junkie, one of the, uh, the best analysts uh, out there, in my opinion, uh, in terms of breaking down the X's and O's. Um, especially from a gambling perspective. Um, he joins me, and Paul has actually joined me on this uh, show previously, uh, where we just kind of talk about it from a gambling perspective for about 30 minutes right before it begins. Just a, It's almost like an, an aperitif, so to speak, to, uh, to, to the event itself. At Aaron Bronstetter on Twitter is where you can find him. You can find him at TSN underscore Edge and TSN underscore Sports because apparently TSN Sports wasn't available. Well, if you do TSN sports, you got too many S's to, I don't know. I, I have no idea why it's TSN underscore sports, but yeah, TSN, TS, at TSN was unavailable. I think somebody else had gotten that before. before that, was, that, was, that was smart. Just like, I mean, the, the person who bought all no, it's the- like an actual business though. It's like an actual TSN business. Oh. That's not like, not some dude. No, see, so the, the people who scooped up all of those like good URLs back in like the, the late 90s oh, are yeah. just billionaires. Baseball.com. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I, I used to work for a site that was like they owned fantasyfootball.com, fantasybaseball.com, and like all the fantasysports.com, which is you know, great. When we talk about great SEO, that's great SEO. The sites yeah, were horrible. Yes. <laughs> yeah, but you sell them, right? Like the value of a fantasyfootball.com, like how much do you think it would cost to buy that? It's probably like $3 million, I would have to guess. I, I would guess it would probably be more than that. I mean, yeah, maybe, maybe. I mean, the value of having a good .com, like if you if you invested in like other like .nets and .org, you're probably down down a couple of dineros. But at least if you got all the good .coms, you're you're in business. Like I think there there was a guy who just owned baseball.com and was selling it for like years until he got the amount of money that he wanted because he knew it was just going to keep climbing in value. 
It's amazing. All right, Aaron Bronsetter. Again, follow him on Twitter, at Aaron Bronsetter. Check him out live before the fights on Twitter. And check out his podcast, which you can find on tsn.ca, because he is El Canadien. I don't think tsn.com works. Does tsn.com work? tsn.ca. Yeah, .ca. TSN.com is also owned by another TSN business. Yeah. These guys are beating us to the punch. Yeah, seriously. All right, you can follow <laughs> me at the PME. Remember to check out the Dogger Pass podcast up on Mayo Media Network right now. Smash like, give me your result and finish of the main event in the decision for UFC 264. And if you're a new time depositor to DraftKings Sportsbook, for a dollar, you can get 264 to 1 odds on a first-round knockout on either fighter if you want it, if you use code DOP. I'm Pat Mayo. Thank you for watching. I'll see you next time. Experience. Experience.